So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 50 days after the uh, ladies found the empty tomb and met the uh, angel, uh, we hear uh, in our Bibles that the Holy Spirit comes down on a group of Christians. It looks like there was about 120 uh, believers. They were together, probably in an upper room, though uh, I've heard someone very persuasively uh, persuade me that it was somewhere else but traditionally it's understood in the upper room um, and they're kind of in the middle of Jerusalem in the middle of the the Jewish capital and they're waiting for this power from on high that their Lord has told them to wait for he said don't go anywhere until you receive this Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit finally comes um, it hits this ecclesia and you get the tongues of uh, fire on the head and these uh, um, followers of Jesus are transformed. They go from uh, this small enclave of 120 believers to thousands. You know, 3,000 become converted on that day as Peter speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit and persuades loads of people that they need rescuing from the coming wrath of God and they need to turn to Jesus. Just as those first Christians waited from that period of the resurrection to Pentecost, uh, I'm encouraging us as a congregation to do the same, to spend this time waiting on the Holy Spirit, to look out for him. There's a difference for us, though. He has already come. His um, coming that was promised by Jesus is a reality in many of our lives. Many of us in this room already know what it is to be baptized and filled with the Spirit and enjoyed something of His presence in our life. And so these 40, 50 days can be a, a, a source of perpetual joy and uh, the ability to serve one another. If you are wondering why would you bother with this Holy Spirit, well, I'm asking you, how is your faith? Is your faith a vibrant thing or is it a little tepid? Is it a little weak? Is it uh, a little rocky? How's your testimony? How is your life lived out in the wider world? Is it strong and clearly uh, uh, lived for Jesus or could that be called into question? How is your prayer life? How is your daily devotions with Jesus? How is your daily uh, coming before the Almighty God and seeking his face? Is that dry and is it a little bit legalistic? Is it uh, a, a duty that you just have to get through? Like sort of my kids' piano practice that's a bit painful? Or is it something that you look forward to and know that you can sort of uh, enjoy for the rest of the day? How is your discipline? Being a disciple means you are disciplined in your living. There are ways and rules and uh, uh, lines to follow. How is your discipline? Are you good at not drinking and eating too much? Are you good at not gossiping? Are you good at being truthful? Or is that a bit rocky? How is your service in these meetings? Because this meeting is not a service to you. I am not some sort of performing monkey that is just here for your entertainment. We come together to look out for each other, to do kind things to one another. Uh, we are here, uh, he won't like this, but we are here like Jacob at the back to do something for the rest of us. He does things uh, unspeakable to that 
sound desk at the back so that there is uh, sound coming out the speakers. And uh, people turn up early to do teas and coffees. But more than that, we want what we had with Brian, with prophecy, where we have participation in the meeting, where it is not just the songs we sing, but everyone joins in. How is your service? When was the last time you were kind and good to someone else in this meeting because of the Holy Spirit? I can't make you want the Holy Spirit, but I can at least try and invite you to desire him. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Now, the reality of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life uh, can seem mysterious. What is this mysterious Holy Spirit? And I'm a little bit glad we don't have any visitors here because this is kind of, it's a, this is a little bit of uh, knowledge that uh, comes as you mature uh, in the faith. And the Holy Spirit can be, seem a bit scary. If you've ever been to a river camp and heard some of the noises people wake, you'd be like, oh, I may not want that dimension of Christianity. You can keep that to yourselves. Or I don't want someone taking over and doing things that I don't want to happen to me. Do I really want or need the Holy Spirit is a very obvious question when we talk about him. Well, uh, I've got a, sort of a, a classic sermon outline that almost immediately uh, occurred to me as I was thinking this. Um, and it's a sort of a, a, a route through the Bible that uh, I've enjoyed in the past. So we're going to have a look at it. And so much of this New Testament stuff happens and the first occurs in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's not there just to put off people reading the Bible. It's kind of like foundational for what happens later in the New Testament when the, where the covenant of grace really comes in. So I'm going to uh, uh, read um, to you and with you an astonishing moment when uh, God crowns the earth with the most marvellous of his creations. Should be a very familiar passage to you. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn with me. We've got a few little segments, so it's worth your while having one. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Should be very familiar. Then God said, this is the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And there's this wonderful lack of hierarchy. Uh, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Some of us are quite good at that because our progeny are out there filling the earth with their volume uh, and their activity. So it says, Be 
fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. And God said, uh, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. Everyone say very good. Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the sixth day. So we are told here that the crowning aspect of creation was humanity. That was the thing that God brought something of his own likeness into. And uh, I have enjoyed books and books and articles and articles about what it means to bear the likeness of God. And it seems that it is a combination of our authority here, our loving and committed relationships, the reason and rationale in our minds, the morality and ethics in our hearts, the language and the communication that we can conjure up, and the ability to create uh, and uh, uh, bring art and music and all these other sort of things to bear. These are the aspects of how we bear God's likeness. Now, part of this uh, human mandate on earth was that men and women, I'm going to go into specifics, are to have children. They are to have families and they are to have children. And they are to explore the earth and they are to settle down. We were uh, originally, we were to make, f- take full advantage of the vastness of this extraordinary planet and with its unique brimming with life aspect we were just to uh, just uh, utterly immerse ourselves in it and 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 go right to the end to find out uh, all about it and it's quite a, quite a compelling mandate for existence it's quite a uh, fascinating instruction for god to give mankind go and enjoy this planet find everything you can about it just fill it up with your children and your children's children, make sure um, that every aspect is enjoyed. I've made this for your pleasure, for your, uh, um, I've made it just for you to inhabit and to find purpose in. Now, funnily enough, men and women very quickly decided to subvert and distort. We are so good at rebelling against God's original aim. And uh, amongst all the different aspects of disobedience that we find in Scripture, we have a rather striking story about a tower. So, I want you to turn your Bibles a few later chapters to Genesis chapter 11. And it says this in Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and bitumen instead of mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. 
and we find these two key elements to this Tower of Babel, why it was uh, uh, against God. They wanted to increase their own renown and they wanted to uh, rebel against this instruction to fill the earth with their children. And it goes on. And so the Lord came down and it's a little, uh, little side swipe. You know, these humans that had built this city and this town, they were very pleased with themselves. God had to come down to see them. They thought they were so terrific and amazing, they were building this thing, but God is so high and mighty and glorious, he has to come down to see what they're up to. And so God comes down to the city and the tower. And he said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And then if this is their motivation, things are going to get from bad to worse. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why uh, it was called Babel, uh, because the, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. He told them to do it. They didn't do it, so he made them do it anyway. And so uh, we know today in our... Uh, in our climate, that ethnicities and nationalities uh, can, uh, when we are communicating with each other, we can very quickly launch into prejudice, misunderstanding and confusion. I've got e-learning at work uh, up to my eyeballs to try and counteract all the different uh, uh, prejudices that we naturally take on that brings division and uh, my employer does his very best to try and overcome that, and it is very rarely successful. And, uh, and so we know in our own culture and our own time that different ethnicities and different nationalities and different languages brings all sorts of confusion and grief and strife. In this incredible story, we find that the very first people shared a common language. Well, they would do, wouldn't they, if they, they came uh, uh, from the same parents. And so solidarity and unity and communication was regularly enjoyed. It was something that was uh, just second nature to them. However, we find that this unity here leads to this heady intoxication of themselves. They become full of themselves. Aren't we amazing? Aren't we awesome? Let's build something to celebrate ourselves and to stop us uh, uh, dispersing too far so that, that we can really uh, enjoy how wonderful we are. And so this city and Tower of Babel becomes a celebration of humanity and it flies in the face of those instructions in Genesis 1 to fill the earth. They are not filling the earth. They are all coming together in this city and doing something opposite to what God wants. And in response, God uses one thing to divide them. It says very clearly that God brings a confusion of their language. Suddenly their language splinters and splits. And these self-important conspirators uh, uh, suddenly start uh, infighting and uh, uh, um, entering into conflict. And then you have these competing identities suddenly spreading out across the face of the earth. And it is out of this that God then chooses Abraham 
for himself. With all these different nationalities and ethnicities and languages and culture, God then chooses Abraham for himself. And then we get that story going off. And it's in uh, a contrast of Abraham being chosen and the Tower of Babel uh, humanity being splintered. So uh, this is this setting of what God wanted for humanity and how it subverted it and how language was the key to splintering uh, a people so that they would do what God wanted. And when, the, first, and when the, Her- the Holy Spirit first came on the church, it was made up of Jews. It was made up of Israelites. It was made up of people that would uh, trace their family lineage back to Abraham. And it was uh, made up of people that thought they were distinguished by following the Torah. They still loved Jesus, but they still understood themselves in terms of Israel, in terms of Jewishness, in terms of Jerusalem. But this was not God's ambition for this new people. When he brought Abraham out of all this confusion, his idea wasn't just to have this one people again. He had a grander ambition for the saints. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. It says this in Acts chapter 10, uh, and we'll just go from verse 25. So we have the Apostle Peter, and he's had this dream, and he, he, he feels uh, led to meet with this centurion, uh, Cornelius. And, th- and then it says this in verse 25. As Peter entered this house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. This is kind of the reversal of that Babel curse, of this thinking that you are something when you are not. And he says, stand up, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. Most preachers and pastors were like, amen, hallelujah, think of the tithing and all the sorts of benefits that come from that. But Peter understood himself as a Jew. And it goes on. And he said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law. And he's speaking as a Christian it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. He was like, there's conflict here. My identity is still a Jew, even though a Christian, and I can't meet with you guys. And then he says this, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone unpure or unclean. This is a seismic shift in the identity of church. Before this point, Christianity was essentially a sect of Judaism. It was small and perhaps seen in terms of a sort of revival or renewal of the Jewish people, maybe. But now they say, I, we are going to redefine ourselves. We are no longer Jews. We are Christians and we do not make that distinction between uh, someone who uh, uh, is descended from Abraham and follows the Torah to these Gentiles, these people that have no Jewish tradition in their life either. They do not have sort of circumcision and the other identifying marks. And so we go on in verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking to a group that he shouldn't be speaking to if he saw himself as a Jew, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all. Everyone say all. All. 
And I like the idea that that includes not just men and women, but perhaps some of the younger generation as well. It's very expansive, the word all. Came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Everyone say astonished. They were astonished. This was outside their comfort zone. They did not expect this to happen. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentile dogs. It doesn't say dogs, but that's the sort of uh, implication of it. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Holy Spirit came. It was absolutely astonishing. And the outworking of being filled with the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. Everyone say tongues. So they were heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. If that's someone's car, uh, it's alarms going off. And Peter goes on and says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. We're the same. We are not divided by culture and language. We are the same. And so what did do, Peter do? So Peter ordered that they be baptised. I love the idea of being able to order you guys to get baptised, right? You've reached a certain age or you've loved Jesus for a certain amount of time, so in you go, whether you like it or not. So Peter ordered they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. So the Holy Spirit fills these non-Jews and it reverses that Babel curse. So the uh, uh, guys in that uh, city of Babel, uh, they have their languages divided. They have them splintered. Suddenly all their identities are scattered. And in here we find we are mended by this new language that the Holy Spirit brings. This tongues of the Holy Spirit suddenly brings all these Christians speaking this same uh, spiritual, supernatural, angelic language and the curse of the ancient curse of the Tower of Babel is reversed as suddenly these speakers share the same language, share the same identity, share uh, uh, that same marker of the Holy Spirit. And so what divided humanity now mends it. And there is a beautiful unity that wasn't there before. Peter didn't even want to get into this room with the Gentiles. And now he was so happy with their company because of that vision God had sent him and because of what the Holy Spirit said that he made sure they're all baptised, that they're all properly signed and sealed as believers. And it knocks the breath out of the Jews because they realise this is a moment in history they'll never forget. This is a moment in history that we Gentiles often overlook and dismiss as a small thing for the Jews to suddenly admit uh, uh, Gentiles into their ranks as being chosen from God was a massive step forward. And uh, Acts makes a big deal of it if you read through Acts from start to finish. Suddenly God's chosen includes people outside the nation of Israel. And so this family of a centurion excitedly speak this unlearnt 
language. They speak in tongues and praise God and everybody smiles. So the question is, what does it feel like, this tongues? When does it come? What is being said? Is it for everyone? Can I have a pass out of it because it sounds a bit crazy? Should we seek it? Is it like being possessed? Is it the gift of a moment or do you get it for a lifetime? When we confess Jesus and Lord and Saviour, the Holy Spirit comes in and we are born again. Everyone who loves Jesus has the Holy Spirit in them. We need to understand that from the start. That is a very important understanding. Now, either at the point of conversion or at some point later on, often after water baptism, we get a spirit baptism. We get a fullness of the spirit. Uh, the language used for this is various by Christians over the years. Sometimes uh, uh, people call it um, baptism in the spirit. Some people call it sort of revival. Some people call it uh, a second awakening, a second blessing. Uh, and uh, it's normally and customarily accompanied by words. When uh, the Holy Spirit fills you, moves on from just saving you to filled you, there is normally, and it is a pattern in Acts, if you read the book of Acts, it's a pattern, the Holy Spirit fills and there is language. God spoke creation into being. The, the curse of Babel was a curse of the language and this is a reversal of it. Language and speaking and talking is a, uh, a rich indicator of God's image and it is an important aspect of this spiritual history of humanity. And so when we are filled with the Spirit, we can expect to speak out. For the Holy Spirit to fill us to the point at which we cannot keep our praises of God in our mouth. We are too full of it. We have to let off steam, if you like. The best answer for many of these questions um, is a passage in the Bible. If you go, go to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, many years ago, we did a series of 1 Corinthians, um, and it was a, a, a really good time to get down to some nitty-gritty practical aspects of Christian living. And it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Um, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Everyone say desire. desire. So Paul says, you know, it's supposed to be something that you long for. It's supposed to be something in your gut. Oh, I want that. It's a way of love. It's a way that you bless other people. It's the way that you chase God. It's the way of love to eagerly desire that. If you are eagerly desiring these spiritual gifts, that is the way of love. And it says this, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but they speak to God. Okay, so we have an indication of who tongues is speaking to. No one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Holy Spirit. So we get to see that the content is mysteries of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort, like Brian did 
earlier. If you want to know whether something is prophetic, if it ticks those boxes, then you can be, uh, uh, then you can be assured that it is likely to be prophetic for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. This sort of uh, church prophecy, that's what it should look like. Anyone who speaks in the tongue edifies themselves. Everyone say, me. Everyone say, me louder. This is your tongues. We live in a me generation. Everything's about you. Well, this is about you. This is about your edification. This is about your strengthening. This is about your emboldening. This is about uh, you. Tongues are for ourselves. And the one who prophesies edifies the church. And it says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets that so that the church may be edified. So, uh, we have in the New Testament these letters. These letters are rarely systematic explanations of theology. They're moments to kind of correct and address faults. So, 1 Corinthians, a lot of it is telling off the Corinthians how they were getting church meetings wrong. Okay, they were getting drunk, the poor were being overlooked, there was some sort of incest going on, they were taking each other to court, and just Paul has to just, one after the other, tell these guys off. And here we have a moment where he's telling the Corinthians off. He's saying, your meetings are just full of you speaking in tongues, and that's no meeting. How's the unbeliever going to be enriched if you're only speaking in tongues when you come together? How is the person next to you going to be blessed by you if you are only speaking in tongues? So in one way, this chapter is against tongues. It's saying, don't let your meeting be filled with, our, with tongues at the exclusion of everything else. The Corinthians loved this strange, mysterious, spiritual gibberish that came out of their mind. And they just went for it, hammer and tongs. And Paul said, you've got to think about everyone else. This is the way of love we're talking about. Prophecy is good in church buildings because it brings the challenge of God right to the face. I am thrilled that someone prophesied this morning because it kind of uh, uh, just sort of just helps this whole sermon to uh, uh, have root in our meetings. I'm not trying to uh, um, sort of invent a new meeting and I'm not trying to give a spiritual truth that we can't grasp. It is something that should happen organically every week. And so prophecy in the church congregation is the best and we should enjoy it and we should appreciate it and we should value it and we should respond to it. And hopefully you did that this morning. Hopefully you treated prophecy with the reverence and respect it deserved. Especially as it ticked off those points that I read off earlier about um, strengthening, encouraging and comfort. But despite that, there is a value in Paul's words of tongues. He goes, you know what, you need to embrace tongues. It is important. It is a gift of God. When God gives you a gift, it is for your, uh, uh, it is for your improvement. It is for your blessing. When God gives you a gift, it is not something that you don't want. It is something that is going to be better for you than what you had. And tongues is a gift. 
it is something that you should appreciate and value, that you should say thank you for, and that you should regularly enjoy. And so it is tongues is to be embraced and loved. Tongues, uh, we find here, it is um, a supernatural gift. It is mysterious. It is very hard to pin down. Uh, my wife, Sam, we were in Macedonia on mission, and she was speaking in tongues, and a woman there understood what she said. And it was all a bit weird, and uh, that happens. That happens where you speak in tongues, and sometimes, very occasionally, someone from another nationality will recognize something in them. But more often than not, it is a supernatural, spiritual language. In that famous passage in 1 Corinthians where he talks about love, this angelic language that he talks about is tongues. And so there seems to be an understanding that tongues is essentially, generally speaking, and most frequently, angelic language that we have not learned. And it does us the world of good when we say it. If you don't feel good, speak in tongues. If you're struggling in worship, speak in tongues. If things are going badly, speak in tongues. If things are going well, speak in tongues. There is not an eventuality in life where speaking in tongues is not a good response to it. When we run out of words, I don't know about you, but I quickly run out of words. You know, like my mind goes blank or I don't know how to pray. You know, there's a situation I'm faced that is confusing, that is distressing, that is uh, causing me uh, uh, to be unable to string a sentence together. And tongues comes in and goes, this is your solution. It is a beautiful devotional language. It is speaking to God generally speaking. Sometimes in a meeting someone will speak in tongues and uh, Sam and I have talked about this and a couple of times we think Kim has said stuff that should have been interpreted and, and the idea is that sometimes there is a tongues that is spoken out loud and it sounds and feels differently and uh, an interpretation comes but generally speaking uh, tongues is private and it is a beautiful devotional language. You can use it at home in your Bible studies, in your prayer time. You speak in tongues. It is good for you. It does your soul benefit. It is a gift to improve your life. What sort of bonkers Christian doesn't use a gift that will improve their life? It is a private language for your improvement. And you aren't taken over. It isn't when you're speaking in tongues, it isn't like some sort of scene of a horror where you're suddenly uh, possessed and you rise above the ground, and all sorts of scary things happen. You are given words and languages and phrases and sentences that you do not recognize as English, but you choose to speak them out, and there is a rhythm and a, a kind of purpose to them that you recognize as language, but is not one that you learn uh, at school. Thankfully, it does not take time to learn sort of tongues, pronouns, and that sort of thing. You just enjoy the language coming out. And you choose to speak it. You can choose to keep silent. So many people are blessed with tongues. And then they just keep silent. They don't enjoy it. They don't revel in it. They don't keep on doing it. In the uh, moments of quiet in the congregation, they don't speak it out. Those are perfect times to speak in tongues. It is something that is supposed to enrich you and do you good. It is a gift. And it's a language we've never learnt. And we lift our spirits. And 
uh, Scripture says, tongues edify the person that's speaking the tongues. It edifies you. You can't always measure it. You can't always work out how that works. It is a mystery. When you love Jesus, you have to make room for mystery. You won't be able to explain everything and, um, and uh, 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 sort of fasten it down with exact definitions. It is a mystery. We are talking about a language of God, an angelic speech that we don't understand. When we speak in tongues, it is a miracle. And it's not just for one section of the congregation. It's not just for the men, and it's not just for the women. It's not just for the pastors, and it's not just for the laity. It's not just for the old folk, and it's not just for the young folk. It's not for the, just for the leaders, or for the super devout, or the people that have got uh, their Christian living right on cue. It is for everyone. Everyone say everyone. everyone. Say everyone a little bit louder. Everyone. Thank you. I won't put you through that again. Paul has a hope, and it is very explicit. He goes, I want you all to speak in tongues, and I want you to prophesy as well. Now, we're going to do prophesy another prophecy another week, uh, but we're going to focus on tongues this morning. He, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. It's good for you. You know, prophecy is better because it blesses everyone, but tongues is good for you. If you are uh, um, even slightly introverted this is a blessing for you this is for your benefit and your improvement your uh, uh, enjoyment he goes I want you all to uh, do this if we love Jesus this morning we're invited to seek out and practice this divine gift we're supposed to do it regularly all the time it is good for us you may not always notice the work that it does but God has given you a gift and he says it will edify you. And so you know what? You take him at his word just as you do again and again in other respects and go, I believe that tongues and speaking it regularly is good for me and so I will do it. If you have never enjoyed this evidence of Pentecost, um, what, happens, what often happens is make sure you're a Christian first. You've got to tick that box. And then uh, once the spirit is in you, you just speak out praise. Whether in the privacy, we've had people um, in the privacy of their own rooms. We had someone, was it Christmas Eve, who suddenly burst into tongues while they were praying. And that's very common. And more uh, awkwardly, uh, we were uh, um, um, sending someone off. They were, they were going overseas and they were coming up the front. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit fell and they broke out in tongues right up the front. Which was a little bit awkward and embarrassing for them. But it's a great story to tell the congregation. And so... Uh, this moment of prayer, this moment of speaking out, and the Spirit will bring to you words that you haven't learnt, that sound awkward and weird, and uh, then you speak in tongues. And it's a beautiful thing, and some people find that they only have a couple of words, you know, they have the, uh, a couple of words that are strange and foreign and mysterious, and uh, they repeat those, and then suddenly language gets longer. And I think, in my experience, the more you speak in tongues, the uh, longer phrases you suddenly develop. Uh, this isn't scriptural. This is just my experience. Uh, but the more you use it, the wider your vocabulary gets. And that's a beautiful thing. So we're going to have a moment where we're going to speak in tongues. Uh, because I don't want you just to go away and just be able to forget about it, 
or go, well, that, that's fine, Trump. We've got uh, uh, a couple of minutes um, that we're going to put on some gentle music, and I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, if you uh, have never had the gift of tongues, then I invite you to ask for it. I want you to uh, stand, kneel, sit, arms out, close your eyes, and perhaps speak out some praise and ask the Lord to transform your language into this heavenly anti-Babel uh, unity of people uh, language. Uh, if you want, it's quite common for people to have hands laid on them. Sam has this great story about going to a tent mission and uh, Christy laying hand, his hands on her and uh, suddenly speaking in tongues. And so for that, I will be forever grateful to uh, uh, Christy Smith for bringing tongues, uh, uh, being the conduit for tongues for, uh, for my wife. And so I invite you, if you don't speak in tongues and you want to, and you want to make a kind of a, a clear articulation of that, come up the front, Rachel, Tim and myself will love to lay hands on you and ask for you to speak in tongues. Is that all right, Tim and Rachel, by the way? I was going to ask you beforehand. But come and speak in tongues. This is, this is a moment where the rubber hits the road. I don't want you to leave here going, oh, that was a nice sermon. I want you to leave going, I'm so thankful I can speak in tongues because that meeting was just like, it was just a tick mark and a yes. And if you don't speak in tongues, I want you to be challenged and go, yeah, I need to. I, I really need to. It's a bit that awkward moment when uh, someone needs to get baptised. You need to. You need to just get on with it. So th this is a moment to just get on with it. And if you want, we'd love to lay hands on you. If you already know speaking in tongues, awesome. Now's the chance to do it. Speak it out loud. We're making a room. We're not going to uh, uh, um, move on. Um, we're just going to make room for tongues this morning. Because it'll edify you. As you speak out tongues, your soul would be enriched. Who would rush away from a point on church where we go, we want you to use God's blessing to bless yourself? Who's going to chase away from that? Who has got something more important than a gift God has given them to bless them? So I'm going to play some instrumental music. Um, I've tried it. Three hours long, so if we really get into it. Right, so I come from that tradition where, you know, the Holy Spirit's coming, the meeting goes on and on and on. Um, and I realise we've got Sunday school and stuff, but I don't want us to rush away. I want us to make room. And so I'm going to play this music, hopefully, um, and I invite you. Sit, stand, kneel, arms up, arms down, eyes open, eyes closed. Speak out and speak in tongues.